a person living in a prison for his whole life, only eating bread and water and, and looking at the gray walls of the prison every single day of his life. If he has Christ, he can flourish. He has the essential thing that makes human life uh, not only bearable, but actually joyful. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church in Hilton Head, South Carolina. Guys, how are you today? Excellent. Yeah, doing well, Nick. Thanks. So we all having worship services on Sunday, December 25th? Yes? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, Why? I'm just kidding. I, I am too. I am too. But apparently it's a question that needs to be asked. Why are you guys having worship? Because it's the day we celebrate Jesus's birth. Yeah. And it's a uh, Sunday. Like I and his resurrection. Watch, so I, I can't. I can't. <laughs> right. I, mean, I really I, can't think of any good reason, any reason at all not to have church, particularly when it's on a Sunday. Uh, I mean, Christmas when it's on a Sunday. I mean, you know, you could, I was talking to Liza about this. You can, I can, I can forgive like the parents of young children who went, took them to the Christmas Eve, you know, service, or if you had a midnight service, um, you know, I, I can look past all that, but the actual minister who doesn't feel compelled to at least have an open an offering on Christmas morning, I just don't understand that. I, I, I can't, I can't really fathom it. You know, I don't know if that's just, I'm so far from my, I don't know, free church mindset or something, but it's, I, I was looking on the internet trying to find some argument today that would make some sense to me other than people are going to be busy. You know, it's like, well, I, I, yeah, that's right. I, that's what the TGC article said. Wasn't it? The, the, the gospel well, they said it was going to be a lot of like take up and sit down. And, and it was really funny because one of the arguments that they made was that where they live in such a secular place that no one was going to want to get up and come to Christmas. And so it's like, it's, that's precisely the time when people, some people can, I mean, they're called priesters for a reason. Like some right. people actually, do actually come, come on Christmas. Church. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Cause they have some vestigial pull to, to the Lord through, you know, yeah. through nostalgia or something i mean you know it's like that meme you know kevin callis kevin McAllister can make it to church you know with his in home alone you know well that was christmas eve that was christmas eve but that's all all the fundamental understanding misunderstanding of the church because i I read this article this guy was saying well the biggest reason you know is because you know we're not gonna it's not an evangelistic service or non-believers don't come well you have a church full of believers that 80 percent are going to be gone well 20 percent are going to be there that's right and the ones who are there need to hear the gospel exactly you are there to serve well what's worse is these churches are shutting down for new year's day too like i mean what's what sort of rationale does that it's like they're all going to be hung over that's why now i mean (laughs) now i will say as in the interest of full disclosure as a church plant these last couple years we have had service on christmas eve and not on christmas morning now we did not have our own place to worship we were in schools not that that would have made it impossible but i felt that the 100% of our church was attending on Christmas Eve, and we didn't really have a sign out anywhere that we could advertise Christmas morning. That said, on Sunday, we will will worship every single Sunday unless I am like, you know, (laughs) kneecapped and can't make it to wherever we're going to worship. And this coincidence of Christmas falling on a Sunday, I think is enough to make me 
never miss a Christmas morning again. It certainly is the history of my life has been worshiping on Christmas morning. I mean, if you look at the, the lectionary of our church, Christmas is the holiday. There is no service for christmas eve we're singing joy to the world the lord has come at right. four o'clock That's on right. christmas eve afternoon you know like we celebrate the birth <laughs> in the morning yeah i see like i feel like compelled you know i we have for instance we normally have two services we're only gonna have one um i don't think we're having music i think it's gonna be like a said right one equivalent i mean it's gonna be pared down with an expectation that it's gonna be relatively small compared to the two services before but we're still going to have we're still going to have it like we're still going to offer it and we're still going to expect that some people some people's piety is very important i mean you know it's a it's a principal feast day of the christian year i mean it's right. it's like a feast of obligation in the roman catholic church i mean you can't miss it as far as i understand so yeah i think it's it, it really does it really has highlighted to me how far uh from the free church world i've come i mean i guess like the the the, the roman catholics would say and along with the Jews, that once sun goes down on on right. Christmas Eve, that you're actually in Christmas, so you can have just a Christmas Eve service on regular, uh, the regular times the Christmas rolls around. But when Christmas Day falls on a Sunday, I think there's 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 a little more complication to just having any like you were saying, to just well, having a Christmas Eve service. Well, there's a long history of Roman Catholic yeah. churches having Saturday evening masses right. anyway. Like right. that's when you would go to church. Well, what's right. the rationale for no no church on New Year's Day? Like, no, just, I can't think of anything. I'm hangovers, hangovers. They're going to be surely still that can't be. I haven't read they anything about that. They to watch the ball drop. And well, what do you guys make of the idea that canceling the Sunday gathering, perhaps not like on the occasion of New Year's or Christmas, but at some point throughout the year for some other expression of Christian devotion there's a, a twitter thread about um service projects i went to a church once coincidentally the first sunday i was going to try this church there was a note tacked on the door that they were having a parish picnic at somebody's house so of course <laughs> i didn't go but but are there any circumstances under which you would think that there was any other thing that could be done in place of the gathered worship service no i that that particular argument has always just made me uh made my uh skin crawl it's just, it's a, because the, the idea is that like it's more important for us to go out there and do things right it's more important for us to go out there and you know be the be the church or be the be jesus's hands and feet in the world um than it is for us to actually get together and worship receive the sacraments and hear his word i mean that assumes a lot about the strength of the average of the, of the average christian it assumes that that worship is is some kind of thing that we just I don't know. I mean, we, we just get together to do, uh, but doesn't, isn't really all that important. The most important stuff is what we do outside of, it, it doesn't make any sense. You have six days a week. You have six days a week for the church to get together and do That's stuff right. like that. But the one day that, that, we, that we would set aside, and I'm, I'm not going to get into the argument about whether Sunday should be the day or not, but I, I think it should be. The, you even the have one Sunday that, afternoon to do stuff. Right, right. <laughs> one day, the one day you set aside as the Lord's day, as the day when the church is supposed to gather and, 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 come before Jesus worship and and be comforted by his word and sacrament right. to say that's the day we're going to go and and um and be Jesus's hands and feet I think that is 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 arrogant it's, it's like we, no, we don't it need, is, we don't need you Jesus we're fine on our own and it's entirely it entirely turns the church into a horizontal um yeah 
well, just it's just made it completely horizontal, meaning that, you know, that you see the argument that the church is uh, the people. It's like, well, that's true. But the people gather together to worship, like they worship the the vertical, the, the risen Lord. They worship right. God, the father, you know, I mean, they worship in the spirit. And so to take away the one mandated day where that was prescribed um, to to gather, to, you know, hear the apostles teaching fellowship, the breaking of the bread is a real misunderstanding of the church. I mean, it's not surprising that most of the people making that have made, uh, making that argument have made a lot of other dubious um, theological <laughs> mistakes along yeah. the way. So, so I'm not surprised. It's not like you see, you know, J.C. Ryle advocating for this or R.C. Sproul. <laughs> you know, it's like the, the, the usual suspects are the ones who think this is a good idea because they have a, a litany of bad ideas uh, yeah. already behind them. It, it just, I, mean, I don't want to judge anyone's motives, but it does seem like a major virtue signal. Like if, if you if you can say we are going to be the church that goes out and does these things on Sunday morning rather than gathering and doing this, you know, just for ourselves, we're the church, we're the church who does things for others and we're going to go out and do this. It just sounds very, very signally, you know. Yeah, I'm always suspicious of churches that define themselves over against, you know, what other churches do yeah, or right. what I mean, I you know, I have my preferences. Um, but for the most part I you know, I'm grateful that I am in a denomination in a church in a, that has a form and structure that I like. And, you know, if you don't like it, that's fine. Um, but, you know, this whole idea of sort of positioning yourself over against those churches over there outside mm -hmm. of like distinct theological differences. I think those are, you know, I think there's something to be made for that. But in terms of, you know, how we do the church, uh, I I just, yeah. my radar goes up. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I get suspicious of that. It seems at the very least to be a sort of misplacement of the engine for what makes these things happen. I mean, if we're, the claim seems to be, we've made a decision to set aside worship and go out and do something when the more theologically accurate thing to say would be, we are so moved by worship that we now must go out the church doors, as we say, to love and serve the world, that worship the vertical informs and causes the horizontal. We don't That's set right. aside the vertical to be engaged in the horizontal. I remember there was a in seminary when we were being taught how to uh, do the Eucharist. Our professor said, you always take communion first after you celebrate. Yeah. You, you had an actual class about that? Yeah, yes. It's very complicated. There's lots of bows and dips. And Wait, you like took, you <laughs> like took, like you had credits for this? Yeah. Well, I remember asking our dean of our seminary. Wait, I, I had a story. Hold on. Yeah, okay. <laughs> hold on, hold on. He said, I'll teach you that in six Hold months. on. The professor was saying, you know, you make sure you take communion first and then you give it to the, give it to the people. And this one of our classmates said, that's that seems like super rude. I mean, wouldn't it look better for the pastor to take communion at last, like ever after everyone else and feed his people first? And the professor was saying, no, the whole point is the picture that you can't feed anybody unless you've been fed first. You can't help anybody unless Christ has first helped you. So you're making that point explicitly by taking communion. First. Wow. Is that like the one good thing you learned in seminary? <laughs> how many? So I'm just still trying to get my head around this. Like how? How many sessions of class sessions did that that incredibly deep insight it actually it actually was a pretty bad class i mean this, this is the one this is the one write me a 1700 the, uh, word essay on uh, no the the worst part was this one professor was saying i mean okay that that one thing she said was good i, I mentioned a minute ago but, but she also said you need to you need to learn how to celebrate from your womb Yes, yeah, I remember you said that a few. Times. <laughs> what if you don't have a womb? Or learn what it feels like. Exactly. 
Oh my goodness. I'm still, I don't know. I've got so many questions, but we'll just leave them them unasked. (laughs) Matt, you mentioned a few minutes ago, the idea of the church sent out as the hands and feet of Christ. That is a saying that is, I think, attributed to Teresa of Avila. I don't, I don't love it. I'll say that. I think I know what people of goodwill mean by it. I don't see a lot of biblical referent for it. What, what do we make of that phrase? Is it a helpful one? Help me, help me understand the hands and feet of Christ. I think I me. Mean, there is a there's a place in I think it's Colossians uh, chapter two. I'll have to go back and check that out. But I think it's in Colossians where where Paul talks about how uh, he's he's completing the the sufferings of Christ in, exactly yeah. in his body by by his ministry. And what he means by that is not that he's actually atoning for anyone's sin, but that but he's he's the he is extending the work that Christ has done in the atonement and in in his in his in his life, death and resurrection through his ministry being uh, throughout the world. So there's a kind of a sense there, or kind of a hint there about uh, toward what. Uh, Teresa Avila might have meant, um, and you're right. I mean, people, you can you can say that and have and have a good reason for it as long as is. I don't think everybody who uses that phrase is 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 wrong in using it, but I think it does it does resonate very strongly with a social justice kind of social justice gospel, social gospel kind of framework where you know God's up there and He is just. Jesus is up there and he's like, man, the world is in such bad shape. And what, who's going to help? Yeah, Please sort of, be my hands and be my feet because I can't do anything without you. I'm totally stuck up here. Jesus <laughs> alone without us is in some sense handicapped. Yeah. He's just completely, yeah, he doesn't have, he doesn't have any help to do anything. So unless we, unless we get up there and help him because he's so, you know, he's way up, he's way up in heaven now. You know, so. Well, if you think of, if you think of actually taking on that Colossians, um, uh, imagery you know his hands and his feet are the scarred hands and feet you know mm-hmm. so we're bringing we're bringing his sacrifice completing his suffering to the world um that's going to bring you know that's that's the the opprobrium heaped upon the church you know from the unbelief but that's that's the work of the church in the world is to bring his cross to bear um and so you could see it that way in a much more sort of evangelistic way as opposed to just saying we're going to we're going to go fix a build a house for jesus or something like this um which isn't all bad but but that is often what it what it just turns into well as we move on to the theme that we've considered for ourselves this week we were thinking about last week's show our conversation about revoice with ann kennedy and bethel mcgrew and one of the best insights that came out of that conversation something that caught my attention in the moment and something that some people mentioned online afterward was Anne's noticing that the common rhetoric of revoice and others like them seem to imply no thought to a life spent in eternity. The entire focus is on the life lived now, and there's no consideration of the existence of heaven and hell. And it, it got us thinking what, when the belief in and willingness to talk about heaven and hell fall away, what else goes with them? How much of the struggles that the church and people in general have are attributable to the withering of an eternal perspective? Why is it important to keep heaven and hell in mind? I mean, I think this is why the Christian can live a life of of, of unfulfillment here, right? You can you don't have to have every single thing 
that you want. You, you can flourish without flourishing in the in the secular way of understanding that word. So uh, one of the common ways that people who are uh, sexually attracted to people's same sex or who are quote unquote living in bodies that are not consistent with their with their biological sex talk is, well, look, you you get to be married. Uh, right. you get to you get to have this joy this 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 thing this relationship that i don't get i'm never gonna be able to have that i mean i can't or i'm trapped in this body and i can't and then this is my only life that i have is basically the, the maybe the unspoken part of uh part of that argument and and so because you get to have this i don't then my my life is now somehow less able to be one of of fulfillment and and satisfaction and and happiness uh so i better be able to do this and then and i i don't think that at least in the christian realm that people who who talk like that are intending necessarily to deny the existence of heaven and hell uh but the but the reasoning is consistent with at least the i a lack of real acceptance of or real I mean, the, the person hasn't grasped the reality of what the promise we have is in Jesus. It, just, it doesn't make it, or else you, you, no one can really say that. I mean, a person living in a prison for his whole life, only eating bread and water and, and looking at the gray walls of the prison every single day of his life, if he has Christ, he can flourish. He can, he can, he, he, he's, and I think he's totally happy every single day of his life, but he has, mm. he has the essential thing. He has the essential thing that makes human life. Uh, but not only bearable, but actually joyful. And we have the experience of two, I was going to say 2000 years, but actually we have the entire history of, of salvation recorded for us in the scriptures of men and women living in circumstances that otherwise would be considered dire and horrible and non-flourishing and yet, and yet singing praises to God because they have, right. they have him. And that's, and, and, and they know that this is only for a moment and something much greater is is coming. Well, yeah, and this just goes back to the horizontalization, if that's a word, of of the church, you know, losing the vertical, you know, which you see in the liturgical renewal, quote unquote renewal, you know, in the which the 79 prayer book, you know, you take out the prayer of humble access, you take out the words of um uh you, you know about sin and blood, you take about all this sort of vertical uh realities of heaven and hell. And it's unsurprising that then the focus just becomes more on this world, you know, this time, you know, stick the announcements sort of a... and the peace right in the middle of the service. That's right. And so we see, you know, I told all the time when I, we were just switching to the ACNA prayer book and I've been teaching the class about uh, teaching the church about some of the differences. And I say, we should be unsurprised for a generation or longer of Episcopalians in particular, or Anglicans in the, in the West that have not prayed, you know, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose properties always have mercy. Like in, 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 on, down the line, well, you know, that there's an incredible selfishness and self-absorption, uh, which manifests in a preoccupation on just this life. And I think, you know, I think when we forget uh, or don't emphasize, as particularly as preachers, the ultimate second coming, the reality that befall, is going to befall, befall us all, well, then we, um, we've abdicated our responsibility because that's, that's the fundamental reality that puts shape to everything else. I mean, I think we can even say that that a life of unsatisfied longings is is better for the Christian than the life in which all the longings are satisfied, even in the right ways, because 
uh, because however our longings are satisfied in this world, it's only a foretaste. And, and, and sometimes we, we get confused between the foretastes and the actual tastes. And, and we tend to think that the good things that are supposed to remind us and elevate our hearts and minds to the Lord, actually, we'd, we'd rather not be elevated and stick with the good things here. But, the, but that's made, that's brought home every time you lose something, every time you don't Every time you you start off in an endeavor and you end up failing, or you or you uh, you have a broken relationship with somebody, or you don't um, you don't get all that you wanted out of your career, whatever it might be, that hurts. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's that's, that's I'm not, when I say good, I'm not, I don't mean it doesn't hurt. What I mean is that is a is a blessing because it it reorients our hearts and minds heavenward. So we don't we were less and less we're less tempted to rest our hopes in this world when things like that happen to us. And Jesus just, I mean, for all his supposed winsomeness, could not have been clearer about this. I mean, he was like, cut off your hand, tear out your eye, do whatever you need to do to your body to make sure that your eternal soul enjoys permanent communion with your father and having to do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul That's fear right. fear instead the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Like did the, I count myself among the number who for years didn't know how to talk about hell in a sermon, for instance, and only relatively recently have I sort of found that voice. Thank goodness to, to give my people a proper perspective on the world. I That's think right. it's so important. Would you remember when we had Mark Seifred, Professor Mark Seifred, come teach Galatians some years ago? And I'll never forget, he's he's a New Testament professor at, um, now he's at uh, Concordia St. Louis, but he's a friend and he's, we've had him, uh, we had him speak a number of times when we were in Louisville. And he started the entire Galatians class with just the statement, well, of course, the entire um, backstory of this book is about final judgment and redemption. And I was like... I was like, oh, I didn't know that was how you're going to start. And he just sort of threw it out there. And I, you know, it was a, I didn't disagree with him. It's just, that's not where I would have gone, but I've never forgotten that because he framed it in such a way that it was a little bit of a corrective to, to my way of thinking, because I said, you know, he's, he's absolutely right. I mean, you know, all of this is framed by these, this proclamation who come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. I mean, if we don't rest upon that and build upon it, well, then we're just playing, you know, sociology, uh, sociology, you know, we're not, we're not actually engaging in the work of the church. I mean, I understand the argument that some are going to make. Okay. On the one hand, um, I understand the argument. Or I understand the argument. I'm saying I, I agree with it anyway. But, but on the one hand, you might have people say something like, "Well, you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good." You know, you, you're you're so you're so high in the sky, up in the air, and you're always thinking about ethereal things, and you know you can't do anything on the on the ground. And you know, I, I find I, I think that in in real life experience that when people are really heavenly minded that 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 doesn't happen they're not if, if you're truly heavenly minded you're a lot of earthly good and that, I, I don't right. think i don't think well, that's it that, we're that's not a, really talking about thinking about heaven right <laughs> we're talking <laughs> about living as though yeah, heaven yeah. is real that's right that's right. <laughs> right 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 and then on the other hand of that though you have you have people who um just the thought of hell is so terrifying yeah and so and, and seems to to so conflict with the nature of God and his character, and especially as these people would say, as he's revealed in Jesus Christ in the New Testament, that it's, it, it, the, 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 we have to find some way around it. Either we'll become annihilationists or we'll become universalists or we'll become something so that 
so that hell doesn't figure into our um, our doctrine as, as as prominently as it clearly did for Jesus, who spoke about it quite often. Um, and to, to those, you know, you 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 have to say, and this is one of the this is one of the basic the basic rules of interpretation when you're reading your Bible. If if you're if you're reading the text and God is seems bad and you seem good, or, or God seems non-compassionate and you seem compassionate, uh, or God's doing something wrong that you would have, you know, that you think you should do differently. Well, you're wrong. I mean, then then you need to step back and say, okay, I'm misreading this. Um, God's God's never the bad guy. Uh, so even if you can't understand how there be a God who loves infinitely, and and yet also is so just that there is a hell that lasts forever. Even if you can't work that in your mind, you don't have to work that in your mind. Just say, okay, this is what God has revealed. Um, I don't understand it. Maybe God will help me, but I'm not going to deny it. I'm going to have to sit with what, I'm, what I've been given here. Yeah, and people will throw back and say, like, you know, as if this is like a triumphalistic statement or there's some reason you would hold to this because of a self-righteousness. And I point out that, like, I've got into the business, as it were, like, to save people from this. Like, this is what we do. <laughs> like, we want, we are, we are working as hard as we can to, to, because of this ultimate reality, to save some people, or at least to be the vehicle through which the Lord brings redemption. Um, so it's not, it's, it's, we talk about this with appropriate fear and trembling, because it's an awesome thing to behold. And it's frightening. And I, um, you know, I mean, preach every Sunday in hopes that we're some more will be spared. And and that's what, you know, that's the evangelistic impulse right there. Yeah. I, I remember several years ago, living in New Jersey, we lived through the, the remnant of two hurricanes, both uh, Sandy and Irene. And I remember the, the illustration just presenting itself to me so clearly of of the hurricane existing outside and I could close my door all I wanted and turn my music up really loud. And it didn't change the fact that the wind and the rain was hammering on my house. And I just feel like the same thing is true with these ideas of heaven and hell. They are disconcerting in many ways, but closing your door to them and turning up your music does not change the fact of them. And if there is an almighty holy God who has an eternal destination for you, you better work that out. You better, you better think about what that's, what that means for you. That's right. The idea though, that, um, well, I think some people hear that language is, is manipulative, right? Like, so you're, you're telling me about this storm outside the door, um, but you're only telling me that to scare me so that I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go and do what you want me to do. Um, I've had a lot of people tell me that that's just manipulative language. You just stop using it. Or the other way, it's manipulative, like high, pie in the sky by and by. Like, don't mind, you know, this is kind of the Marxist opiate of the masses. Like, just you know, bear with the oppression right now uh, and you'll get you get pie in the sky later on. But that all, both of those objections, you know, beg the question that you mentioned, uh, Nick. Is it true? And if, it, if it's right. true, if there is a hell, then you should be scared of that, and it's it's good for it's good to be warned of the coming judgment if it's actually coming. Then 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 you're not being manipulated; you're being warned, and you're also being given an, a, a way out, which is what you hear in the gospel. So uh, that's all question begging, but it it it's used the it's used to to kind of paint those who would spot, speak of hell um, as as kind of cheap. You know, cheap yeah. salesmen who are trying to pass off some kind of 
you know, some kind of quick fix for, for the present life. How does that critique map onto the Old Testament prophets? I mean, they certainly were warning in that way, but they weren't offering any sort of a quick fix for this life. They were merely saying, you know, judgment will come upon you, repent and turn. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, they... I mean, Jeremiah, we're, we're studying Jeremiah in his Bible study right now. And I, I feel so sorry for that that, that guy, yeah. God saying, hey, be, I'm going to send you to those people and no one's going to listen to you. You're going to be, you're going to be, everyone's going to hate you. No one's going to listen to you, but go ahead and say these things. Um, <laughs> so, so he goes and, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't promise the people that if they turn, um, I mean, the problem is the judgment is coming. It's, 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 it's already it's, it's already been decreed that you are this, the Babylon is going to come. But what you can do is you can repent and trust and be preserved um, and come back after the exile or whatever. But there's no sense of of right, you, you know, just doing the right thing right now will will, will bring out will let you escape the earthly consequences for this. It's fascinating. I mean, and and I don't. I mean, I do. I, I think I think we have. That message, of course, is a is a type of the of the, of the gospel that yes, you're going to die, um, you can't escape that unless Jesus comes back first. But there is something beyond that that you can that you can have better than um, better than anything you have now should you trust in Jesus. But the call that the preacher has that that you and I all all three of us have, you know, is you know, it's kind of stark. It's like you know, there, there's 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 life on on the road. That uh, that Christ offers to you, there's life uh, with Christ. It will be a difficult road. Uh, you're going to find that people who you love may not love uh, what you believe, and may not even like you after a while. You might you're going to lose lots of things. That's the nature of living in a fallen world, and that's the nature of. And then you're going to die, and that's because you're. <laughs> you're it's really fun at a dinner party. Right, right, right. There's a grim reaper. <laughs> but like we were saying at the beginning, though, okay, all along but the take way, heart. you have Jesus, right? You have Jesus. Amen. You have forgiveness of your sins. You have the communion. You have the church. You have these wonderful things that Jesus, that God gives us along the way, like the people of Israel in the wilderness that they were. They had bread from heaven and um, and the water from the rock, and we have. Uh, and we have someone better than Moses with us, so we're we're good along until we get there. Um, but it is a, it is a tough journey. Um, and uh, on the other side of that, I mean, we we could promise people other we could just we lie. I mean, just, oh no, there's no hell. That's right. Um, only heaven, and God just wants every day to be Friday, and for you to live your best life now. But but that would that would that would pro that would that would promise a lot and give nothing. Um, whereas we can promise. The whole world and uh, and and also well, and show I, and i don't think right. people really believe that i mean i think that's why the church quote-unquote churches that go down that route you know are basically empty i don't think they believe churches um that that preach that they people might believe you know sort of convince themselves that this is all there Joel Osteen's got a pretty big church i think well <laughs> touche <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think people, I think people believe it because they want to believe it. I mean, I think, I think, I think like Joel Osteen, he's a real slick salesman. I mean, he can, he, uh, it's, it's very positive experience. We got, I, we were gifted the Joel, the Joel Osteen, Osteen cube. cube, man, that yeah. thing. You punch it every morning and you feel really great. I was going to buy is... one of those and I felt bad because I was like, I'm mocking, I'm mocking, I'm, this is, this is a mock purchase. It's like, the person who bought it for bought it on eBay, so it had That's already right. purchased, right? <laughs> no money went to- Well, I do think, it. you know, we do have this amazing dual realities where we get to pull no punches and, and call the thing what it is and be as stark and as dark and as 
um, honest about sin, death, and the devil as, as you can. But on the flip side, we have this incredible joy and peace that the world does not know. And it's just, that's the, the, the miracle of faith. I mean, that's the, the new life uh, that, that is evidenced, um, not in every church and certainly not, uh, I mean, not, you know, not at every moment in the life of every Christian, but certainly at some point in the life of a Christian who has, in fact, maintained, you know, has been preserved because otherwise you you would fall away or you would you you wouldn't know something of the foretaste of heaven. And so that's what we, you know, we preach for it, we pray for it, we look for it, and we hope for it. I mean, that's what we do and expect it. Um, and so uh, particularly on Christmas morning, uh, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're looking forward to celebrating it once again. Well, they say, and it's true that the the church was built on the blood of the martyrs and I'm always hesitant to bring up the martyrs because I think I would have made a particularly poor martyr. Um, I imagine well, not this... every Christian was martyred. You know? I mean, some of them, I, some of them had to survive. So. I imagine myself <laughs> apostatizing immediately, um, doing whatever I had to do to save my skin. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, people did go to their grisly deaths. Praising yeah, like yesterday, Saint Lucia, Saint Saint Lucy, yesterday, yeah, and. That was such an incomprehensible witness to the people of the time that there was, in fact, something eternal on offer, that it did indeed see the church forever. That's right. That's right. I mean, there's no more powerful, there's no more powerful sermon than the faithful suffering um, unto death in one sense or untimely, you know, I mean, like, a someone that, that like gets martyred as you're saying, Nick, I mean, there's, uh, I wish it were otherwise, but that's the most powerful sermon that the church has given the world. I mean, that's the hands and feet of Christ right there. You know, his scarred hands, his, his wounded feet for the sake of sin, which gives me the confidence to stand in the face of, of the world come what may, and praise him even in the midst of this present darkness. I mean, that's that's a sermon that no one else has uh, that he gave us to preach, and it's one that we watch preached, you know, at every funeral, every every graveside, every um, hospital visit, and it's um, it's the powerful one that will change the world. You know, here's where I think you know we've we've been very critical of Revoice and very critical of spiritual friendship movement, and um, I, I and for good reason. So, so we've we've spelled them out before, but um, I do think that you know, had they taken a different route and not bought into the gender theory all the stuff, but just said, okay, we're we're going to be celibate for Christ's sake, and it's hard. I think that would have won the admiration of the entire church, and and even people in the world would have looked at that and said, wow, what what's this about? What do you? Uh, you're giving up the most important thing in our lives, which is sex, for <laughs> for. Uh, for this Jesus, what's this about? I mean, I think, I think, I think a real uh, an opportunity to maybe not be a martyr in the in the in the second, third, fourth century sense, but to be to do something which in this world is is radical, and to, and to sacrifice oneself in a way that people would find incomprehensible. Um, I think that that road was open to them. I think it, I think it, many have taken it. Not people are not not people are not associated with revoice and spiritual friendship have taken that road and. And and they do stand out like uh, like signal flares in the in, yeah. the in the world. But how would that be any different? I mean, I'm, I, I agree with you largely. Although I, I don't think that's any different than 
you know, the the single celibate Christian, no. whatever their internal desires are. Assume. No, I wasn't using that as an exclusive yeah. thing. But I was, essentially, because that is a radical thing. I mean, to say, you know, until I yeah. get married, which I may never do, I'm going to remain celibate, man or woman. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's an incredibly right. uh, countercultural thing to say, incredibly powerful. And I think, but I agree with you. I think there would have been, I mean, well, that's what Washington Waiting was. I mean, that was the, the, the you know, that was the initial book. And there was a lot of sympathy for that and a lot yeah. of passion, a lot of pathos, you know, in the, because that was a courageous thing to do. So I agree with you. And the reason, yeah. the reason that we talk about revoice is in the hope that they'll come back to that road. That's mm-hmm. our hope that that they're not too far gone. I mean, this is what the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son are all about. The first yeah. two being that there there is no corner of the world that which our Savior will not search for us, and the prodigal son that there is no land so far away that we cannot return home. And that's Amen. that's our prayer for revoice prayer for every sinner of every stripe, including the three of us. Um, This is why even talk of heaven and hell can be a way to talk about the gospel, because even if you are, you know, on the cusp, there is still time to repent, ask forgiveness and rejoice in the shed blood and Christ's name that can cover and has covered every sin you can imagine. Amen. So we we talked a lot about deathbed conversions before, but that you know, I'm going along the theme that we've been discussing. Unless you have the the pleasures of this life as uh, as lures to keep your mind away from the reality of of your mortality and what's coming next, you can easily be dissuaded. This is why the Puritans were all you know they're they're also cheerful folks. They're saying you know you can always think about your death every every meditate on your death every day. Um, so, 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 That's right. So but 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 pack your belongings in a coffin. You know, <laughs> right. even if you don't do that though, if you don't meditate, when when if you're if you're fortunate not to die suddenly, and you have and you know the time is coming. Then you know, of course, the lures of this world seem you know they they drop away. You know, they're, they're, you're not thinking about you know who am I going to have sex with tomorrow? Or, you know, how, how drunk am I going to get the next day? You're thinking how much, or how, how much money can I make out of this, out of this uh, venture? Uh, you're thinking, my goodness, I'm going to die. And then maybe uh, you haven't thought that before. And, and that's such a great and fertile moment for, for us, for the Christian to come in and visit and say, okay, well now, now you're not distracted. Here's, here's what, what the Lord promises you if you'll come to them. Amen. And that kind of repentance not only can impact and will impact you and your eternity, but those of your loved ones as well. I mean, we know people whose deathbed conversions and proclamations have then impacted children and cousins and right. just have have an explosive effect in the life of their entire family. And that is that is the creative nature of the good news proclaimed. It, it makes life where there was before only death. Amen. Well, that is going to be just about all the time that we have for ourselves this week. We do so appreciate you listening. If you want to keep the conversation going with us, you can be in touch. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes or send us an email to mailbag at standfirminfaith.com, or you can join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thank you to J.D. Koch and to Matt Kennedy. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. 
it is Christmas week. We'll see. Um, we haven't talked about it. Maybe we'll be back. Maybe we won't. You'll have to wait and see. But until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh,